This is Problem Solved, the IISE podcast, where we talk to industrial and systems engineers about their work, ideas, and solutions. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Problem Solved, the IISE podcast. I'm David Brandt, Web Managing Editor for the Institute of Industrial and Systems Engineers and a producer on Problem Solved. And today we're talking diversity, an extension of a discussion panel that took place at the IISE Annual Conference and Expo in Orlando, Florida, back in May. Joining me today is Sneha Sinha from Oregon State and Carlos Garza from the University of Texas in Arlington. I'm going to go ahead and let our participants in today's discussion introduce themselves. So I'm Sneha. I'm a third year industrial engineering student at Oregon State University. Um, I'm focusing on engineering management and I come from a background of a first generation immigrant family from India. Um, I grew up in a fairly economically privileged area in the suburbs of Portland, Oregon, and my university is actually located about an hour and a half away from there in more of a rural, um, less diverse area. So I really feel like I learned a lot about the real world after coming here. And it's given me kind of an opportunity to step out of my bubble and learn about things that I never thought about before college, which I would like to apply to my career moving on forward. I'd like to work in consumer products and the retail logistics industry. And while I don't have any industry experience yet, I will be interning at the Target Distribution Center in Albany, Oregon this summer. Um, doing an operations management internship. So I'm definitely interested in management a lot. And I think obviously diversity and inclusion are really important topics, especially for management to be keeping in mind as we go upon, go about our like daily operations. Um, other than that, on campus, I actually have three jobs and all three of them kind of pertain to my, again, my experience with diversity and inclusion. So I'm an ambassador for the College of Engineering here at Oregon State University. Um, that means that I get to interact with a lot of prospective families. So it's a lot of representing the university, but also advocating for education and talking to families that are not really sure if they want to take that step into engineering or into college, which is a pretty big investment. I'm also the president of our engineering student council. So I spend a lot of time advocating for our student body here. And again, a lot of that does include diversity. So advocating for our college to really notice the students that are putting in a lot of work towards building an inclusive culture and also just all the different aspects of where diversity comes into play in engineering. Last but not least, my uh, third job is in the Center for Diversity and Inclusion in our College of Engineering, which just got rebranded and has been open for almost a whole year now. It's been really cool to be able to work right at the front line of advocating for diversity and inclusion at my university. Okay, great. And Carlos? Well, it's a lot to compete with. (laughs) Um, So I'm at the University of Texas at Arlington right now. I'm a junior studying industrial engineering. I had actually switched from uh, electrical engineering to industrial engineering recently. I just felt like electrical engineering was a little bit too much math and science than what I was actually heading towards with a degree. Once I kind of got more knowledge with industrial engineering on what exactly it is that they do, I became pretty interested and went ahead and transferred over. Upon transferring over after my first semester, I stumbled upon the IISE organization uh, right whenever they were doing uh, elections. So I saw that the president position was available, uh, went for it, gave a speech, and a week later was elected president. Originally being from the Houston area, 
there's a lot of diversity in the Houston area, but slowly we just kept moving a little bit north, uh, city to city away from Houston. Through doing that, we ended up getting to kind of places that were a little bit less diverse at the time that I was attending school there. Uh, the high school that I went to was actually, it wasn't as diverse as uh, the schools were in Houston that I was attending to. Through the experiences at both, uh, I, I feel like subconsciously I started to begin having like an understanding on like different cultures and being able to kind of adapt with people in different ways and kind of understanding that like diversity is more finding ways that uh, people are different, but then also finding, I think, similarities between them and then correlating those to better build relationships with people. And I feel through those experiences, I, I kind of began having a better understanding of what that was. It's an interesting conversation to have for a number of reasons. It's certainly one that I think is, I don't want to say, you know, more than ever before, because it's always been relevant, but I think it's one that more participants are having an active discussion about. And the panel that was taking place during the annual conference, uh, I thought was really engaging. The four of you who were running the panel did a really terrific job. Um, I think the panel discussion ended up going uh, almost a couple of hours and um, there were just so many different opinions and it was, it was very much a, a room of mutual respect. Um, everyone wanted to hear what everyone else had to say, but everyone's got a lot of different opinions and perspectives about the role of diversity in its relationship to not just society overall, but really in our industry, in industrial and systems engineering, and uh, what it means to practice diversity in the workforce. So you each shared your thoughts on what diversity means to you in the panel. And Sneha, you brought up an interesting viewpoint about identities during the panel session. How do you define diversity and how do you define its role in relationship to finding your first jobs and joining the workforce? Great question. So, I mean, diversity is obviously really broad. So I like to start off with the fact that diversity is really about welcoming all intersecting identities. And by intersecting, for those who might not know, it's really about the fact that there are multiple different identities that people can have that can kind of disadvantage them in society in various ways. So for example, I'm a woman, but I'm also a person of color. So that's kind of an uh, intersecting identity for me as I'm a woman of color. And there's kind of two levels of diversity related aspects to my identity, I guess. It's not just saying that we welcome people of all, all intersecting identities, but it's actually building a safe and inclusive environment for all of these intersecting identities to thrive and really be, like live their best lives. Also, I want to point out that I don't think diversity is a single faceted kind of pillar. It has like two sidekicks, which are equity and inclusion. And without those three together, they don't really mean anything. So if you like to think about it this way, I like to think that diversity is the what and inclusion is how and equity is why. So we want to get to this like eventual goal of equity where everyone in society is equitable. And by creating a safe, inclusive environment, we can really build a workforce or just like really a community that is truly diverse. Going into like the workforce and finding a first job, I think diversity and inclusion is is non-negotiable. As a woman of color, I obviously want to work somewhere where I'm respected beyond just the quality of work that I put out. So we should all be belonging at the table just because we deserve to be there, not just because we bring a company some profit or because we make the company look good. 
again, like this comes by building that inclusive culture and really making sure that everyone is being respected and that their opinions are being treated with the utmost importance and priority. Okay. Carlos, you had brought up a point about communication during the panel, but before I get into that, uh, is there anything you want to add or exchange about that topic? I mean, she brought up a lot of good points. Uh, I think going into the workforce with the first job, and incorporating diversity is uh, really important just in different ways. So going with communication now, uh, it's, you know, you have people coming with different languages and that's kind of a skill set that you bring in with diversity. You know, people understanding different languages when it comes to customer communication or uh, employee communication is really important, especially if there's other people whose uh, first language is in English. Uh, I had brought this up on a panel. And if English isn't your first language and you're trying to and somehow express yourself or communicate properly, uh, you won't be able to do it as efficiently as you would with your uh, main language. And that's incredibly important to have because whenever you have customers who are trying to express themselves with an issue or just express themselves with a product that you have, uh, it's going to be much easier for you to have that customer cooperate with you when the communication is, you know, they're, they're able to communicate a lot easier when it's ever their first language. So I believe finding ways to uh, have communication with like different languages is one way that we could use diversity to kind of enhance uh, the way that a company is working or an organization with that skill set alone. I think communication is important because, you know, you, you have to you have to make sure you know what's going on with your clients, employees, volunteers. Uh, and the only way you're going to do that is actually asking them, you know, like, how, you know, how are you enjoying like your time here? How are you enjoying like uh, our services? Uh, is there anything that you'd like to change? People want to be heard, I think is the biggest thing. And if, if they're not feeling like their voice is being heard, then, you know, there's going to be some slight uh, upsets with them not being able to completely express themselves. And yeah. <laughs> All right. I come from an older generation than you guys do. I won't say how much older. Uh, it's it's uh, less than Generation X, slightly more than millennials. I'll say that. That's the best way I can describe it. But you guys, I guess, would be classified really as Generation Z. And often in the media, your generation is viewed as being more inclusive. You're open to diversity more than any generation really has been before you being within American culture. Has that been your perspective during your college experience? Um, okay. I think that's like a pretty interesting statement. I believe there's definitely been and are people in every generation who have dedicated their entire lives to, you know, fighting for civil rights or diversity and inclusion in various facets. Certainly. I also believe that there's definitely youth in my generation who have been raised in a bubble where they don't see the value of those things also. And I'm, I'm thinking like coming from my background, I grew up in an area that you could call it demographically diverse. Like I grew up around a lot of other Indian people and a lot of people of various ethnicities. But then when I came to university, I realized that I was still living in a sort of bubble because the place I grew up in was really like economically privileged. It was a well-off area and things like that. So it's definitely interesting because my perspective of diversity and the culture around me has definitely changed before and during college. But I will say like, if I had to make a blanket statement, I would say that our generation, I think we do at least, at least we are perceived to be more 
I guess, catering towards the diversity and inclusion. And I would think that a huge part of that is the existence of social media. Social media has definitely been instrumental in amplifying people's voices. So if there's something going on across the country and, you know, it's related to like there's issues with like race or ethnicity or gender violence, like those are things that I would have never known about. But thanks to things like Twitter and Facebook, we are able to access everything that's going on all around the world at basically all times. And it's kind of forced my generation to become more aware. And I know it it might sound silly to some folks to think like, oh, like, you know, you can't be educated from Twitter. But I really do think that Twitter is a platform for us to share our thoughts and opinions. And all of a sudden, with the existence of social media, people who couldn't have voiced their opinions any farther than just their immediate community, all of a sudden those people are able to share their opinions, what work they're doing on the ground, any protests that are happening, things like that are so much more available due to social media. And I think it's kind of gone to the point where it feels like being apathetic or not having an opinion just isn't an option anymore. I'm sorry. So let me jump in real quick, though, to say or to ask this question. Mm -hmm. Do you feel overall that the involvement or the discussion that takes place on social media, has it largely been a positive force, a negative force, a little of both, depending on the day? How would you describe that? I think it definitely can be a little bit of both. But I will say that there is so much support out there and I want I want to be optimistic here and say that it has been positive like obviously there will always be people who have something negative to say and there's always going to be people with conflicting opinions but I think just the fact if you look at it like logically just the fact that we're able to amplify like activists voices through social media I think that in and of itself is huge because it's made like the fight for diversity it's made it everyone's fight. It's it's made it so that you really can't avoid it and you see it everywhere you go, whether it's in the workplace because they're doing a bias training at work or if it's like on campus because, oh, like the Society of Women Engineers is putting on an event on campus. But also it's like when you go on Facebook, you hear, oh, like this happened in the news today and here's everyone's reactions about it. And you might learn to hear from people's perspectives that you would have never heard from before. And I think that's what really is different for our generation is that there's just so many more perspectives that you can take into account. Whereas back in the day before social media, your opinions are really built on the people that you talk to every day and the people that are around you. So it's so much easier to be single-minded in that kind of a situation. Well, and coming from a journalism background, I would contend to some degree that people still sort of pick their sources and only listen to who they want to listen to. But also, I do think that more people, particularly of your generation, are a little bit more open to listening to voices that would challenge their own ideas. And that's what I think the individual responsibility is when it comes to understanding the value of diversity from a cultural standpoint. Carlos, anything you want to add to that? Yeah, really with the uh, social media thing, uh, you know, going back to is it good or is it bad? I think, yeah, there's there's good and there's bad. Uh, whenever people are getting their information on there, what I don't believe that there is enough is, you know, fact checking. People will most, mostly see, you know, tweets with like information being put out there with like hundreds of thousands of retweets or, you know, Facebook posts with all these shares. And popularity has now become the way for people to assume that something's correct. 
Like all these people are also retweeting it or sharing it. So it has to be true because it wouldn't be true unless, and not all these people are going to be wrong. And that's the complete assumption I feel that some people have with Twitter, Facebook, any type of social media platform. So the biggest thing is when you're, you know, getting this information off of social media and all these different ideas and sides is also, you know, making sure that you're not immediately assuming that, you know, oh, this person has to be correct because of all the people that are following behind them. You know, there, there still has to be a little bit of research done with like those, you know, with big uh, types of topics and uh, ideas, uh, not to just jump on board. Social media, I feel is a great way though, to still be able to get your word out and your thoughts. I think it builds great communication skills, kind of how I was talking before. Uh, there's communication between people. You're able to get responses. One book that's, you know, super popular that I've read is How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. It talks a lot about the way that with communication, it's important. If you know you're, you're in a disagreement with somebody and you were to tell them in a rude and hurtful way that they're wrong, regardless if they're wrong or not, they won't admit to it just because of the way that it was put out. Now, if we took the time to kind of talk about it uh, in a you know in a, in a good way where there's not a lot of a confliction, you're able to actually teach people more that way and actually maybe even get them to come on your side whenever you're able to calmly talk to them about this topic, not uh, get on the offense and try to attack. And I feel like that's what happens a lot, especially with topics uh, with like diversity. Uh, I think it's just a, a sensitive topic right now, but it's a very important one. Like IISE doing this, I feel is a very big step towards actually improving it. You know, it's, it's a sensitive to- uh, topic where people are kind of worried about talking about it because they're afraid it could go wrong. But you know, we don't focus enough on like the positive effect that it could have on actually bringing up the topic, talking more about it, getting opinions and seeing if we could find like a common ground on like the whole topic of diversity. Sneha, you made a very strong point early on during the panel about the fact that I believe you said, if you're going to be an engineer, you have to prove that you can be an engineer, regardless of ethnicity or other identity factors. Uh, Carlos, you took a question during the panel on whether a job candidate should be hired based on their ability to communicate in English. As you've worked internships or begun your full job search, have you experienced challenges where you felt identity played more of a factor than your intellectual capabilities to excel in a job or an opportunity? Personally, I haven't. Uh, I I couldn't say that... uh I felt that I, my identity was the one thing that was going to push me, but I kind of did bring this up in the panel is like diversity shouldn't only be correlated to like cultures, religion. I mean, it should, but you should kind of look beyond that. You know, the the diversity is that these people come from different cultures and backgrounds. So they have different ideas, thoughts, processes that they've used differently from maybe uh, other processes that people from different cultures uh, have used and different uh, ethnic backgrounds. I think that's mainly looking more into the person himself is I think more important in the end. Uh, The diversity is just a pro to that person because like that person is now coming from an area that's maybe a majority different. They're thinking differently. Values are different. So that's going to bring in different thoughts, ideas to a company, which is always going to be beneficial. You always want to be thinking as, uh, as differently as you can, because if you're just thinking the same way, uh, you're not going to advance far at all. I kind of want to circle back to like the original question of where you asked about experiencing any challenges. I definitely feel like I have experienced challenges. 
I definitely think that when I walk into a room, I have to combat certain stereotypes of who people think I am. I present usually as like very traditionally feminine. And I've often experienced situations where a professor, a classmate or an interviewer or someone I'm networking with didn't really expect me to be smart or be able to perform the same tasks that someone who doesn't look like me does. And I often do feel like when I walk into a room, I do kind of like a mental scan of who else is in the room. And if I'm the only woman or if I'm the only person of color, or even if I'm the only woman of color, I immediately kind of go into this mode where I know I need to act a certain way to really emphasize my skills or make it clear that I'm the same as everyone. Um, It's something that I feel like I have to make an effort to keep on my mind, which maybe people who don't identify with like certain underrepresented groups would not have to feel that way. In either case, it's kind of like a battle between me and preconceived notions that people have been conditioned to have throughout their lives of, you know, what an engineer looks like, what an engineer sounds like, things like that, because maybe I don't match those things and people have a hard time kind of looking past that. There's been like just situations where, you know, I'm in an interview or I'm networking with someone at an event And people just want to ask a lot of personal questions. And I know that's a thing that a lot of women deal with um, in professional situations where you're kind of, I guess your people want to know more about you personally, because maybe they're surprised that, oh, you're a woman and you're in this, in this like engineering group with a bunch of men and things like that. And so I think it becomes kind of blurring the lines between like professional and uh, personal life which doesn't really happen to people of all identities, I think. And so, I mean, in situations like that, I've definitely felt like concerned that my identity would make someone think that I wouldn't be fit for a job or maybe even like the flip side where someone hires me to fill like a diversity quota. That's like one of my biggest fears. Um, But I mean, I just want to, you know, just going through what I've been through and like the experiences that I've had, I think it's definitely something that, impacts a lot of people around the country. A lot of women around the country have to deal with these preconceived notions on a day-to-day basis and combating them. And then kind of moving on to like what Carlos was talking about, like how your identities really come into play. It really is about that skill set. But I kind of wanted to bring up this point of the theory of a meritocracy. So a meritocracy is essentially like the ideology that if you have merit or if you are really good at something, you can essentially start climbing the ladder just simply based on your merit. And it's been time and time again proved wrong, I think, in this country that the meritocracy definitely does not exist where there are people who... For example, like if I'm a woman of color with like the same intellectual capability as a white man that is interviewing for the same role, there is a likelihood that they would be picked over me for various reasons. Like I'm not going to go into details of what those reasons could be, but this happens all the time. And so it's really important for industry to actively seek out anti-bias trainings and really focusing on building these inclusive environments in the workplace. And like Carlos said, really trying to move towards that meritocracy where you're blind to everything except for someone's skill and like in all aspects of that sense. So like you really just care about the work that people are putting out and you're leveling the playing field. Like I think that is the eventual goal and for industry to get to that point. Industry has to be willing to invest time and money and energy into achieving that because it's not something that's just going to come about on its own. So 
I really think that like obviously diversity and inclusion, there are a lot of challenges that people face every day in the workforce. And this country is a melting pot. Like there are so many people of all different ethnicities and identities who are all working towards the same goal of this like American dream, right? So in order to make that dream achievable and fair for everyone, it is a effort required on both parties to really level the playing field and make it so that everyone is able to have the same opportunities as one another. Let's cut through the meat of the situation a little bit because you, sure. you both of you just brought up a lot of really great points. <laughs> I have a different perspective on a lot of this. That's not to say that it is radically different from how you view it. The challenge for me is that I'm a white man who grew up middle class in Southern US. And growing up, the ideas that were introduced to me about diversity and inclusion usually involved mistakes that were made culturally. What do I or people who fit my description when it comes to, you know, meeting you at a, at a professional event, socially, you know, in general, or from a hiring perspective, what does someone like me need to keep in mind and maybe abandon mentally uh, when it comes to discussing your opportunities and the potential for you as a professional woman? Right. So, I mean, like there are these things called like subconscious biases. And a lot of times what that means is that you might look at me and immediately have a preconceived notion of who I am. And you might feel like the urge to ask me certain questions about that identity or something like that to kind of relieve that like urge to ask me those questions in your head, I guess. I don't have like a training course that I can lay out for you right now. But I would say like it is recognizing that you have those biases and then moving away from them. So if you look at me and you know, we're in an interview and you're just itching to ask me about like my ethnicity or my background, like maybe hold off on it until you know, like I would want for hiring managers and interviewers to really look at me or any interviewee as an interviewee and that's it. And like, just look at the skill set, ask them the same questions that you would ask anyone else in that role, things like that. And then like maybe after you get closer to that person, after they're already working there, you're welcome to ask them questions about their identity. For me, it's always really off-putting when someone that you've never met before, have had no interaction with, et cetera, et cetera, comes up to you and has all these questions about your identity. When you look at me, that's all you see. Like you don't see beyond that. You don't see, oh, this person is an engineer. Whereas if you were to approach someone who was maybe a white male with all the same skill sets that I do, you would be able to maybe pick up a more professional conversation about the industry or like whatever field they're in and things like that. So I think it's more of like just recognizing those subconscious biases. And this is also something we talked about in the panel a little bit was how you... Carlos, do you want to talk a little bit about what we talked about in the panel? Uh, yeah, sure. I think I brought up actually some points uh, about this topic. And it was kind of how she said these subconscious biases that people have. Seeing a person of maybe a different color or different background, automatically you're going to just kind of assume like, oh, we're not going to have anything in common. like uh, Or like, well, I'm not going to be able to relate with them as much. Uh, and that's just kind of something that's... A, you know, a subconscious bias that's already, I feel, implemented. You know, people asking questions about, you know, your background and everything, I feel is just them trying to be more relatable with you or like find out more things that like you and I can talk about. But I think going
going mainly to like the root of like just that is not the way to go because now you're putting off the assumption that you're just uh, wanting to find that out because the first thing you realized about them was, uh, oh, this person's not white or like this person's not, uh, you know, American. It's completely different. I feel that especially like me and Sneha, uh, our personalities, I feel, you know, we're very American culturalized still, but still have like our backgrounds from like the other cultures that we were raised on. A lot of friends tell me like, you don't even seem like you're Hispanic at all. And I'm like, but what does that mean? Like, just because like I have things that I'm, you know, able to be relatable with you. That's because like we're both raised with the same culture. And if you just come in with the mentality like, oh, this person's just another person. I'm just going to get to know who this person is. I feel then you start building that relationship, kind of how Sneha had just mentioned is that, oh, this person and I actually like have a lot of things that are, uh, we have a lot of common interests and, you know, I actually kind of like this person, you know, we've been just hanging out, talking, either if it's like an employee, volunteer, uh, or even like, uh, you know, anybody else uh, that it doesn't even have to be in a workplace, just uh, that you're maybe seeing occasionally. If you start building that relationship, naturally the topics of like, oh, tell me more about your like culture and values will come up. And now you're asking because you're just genuinely interested about that person now, not just about like what's defining that person, but I've now built this relationship with the person and I want to find out more about them. One uh, example that I brought up was that I had fraternity brothers that were from Lebanon. I would never really brought up much about it uh, just because I was like, I'm just going to talk to them because they're, you know, cool. We have a lot of things in common. I like to hang out with them. And then after time, you know, the, the conversation came up about like Ramadan. Cause, uh, I really didn't know anything about it. And, uh, I was just interested. I'm like, how come you guys like are not eating like all day? There's no way that that could be healthy. Like, you know, all these like different things that people say that are like not good about it. And then they kind of told me more about it. You know, you're, you're giving up things that on the daily are, you know, essential, like eating, uh, drinking water, anything that's considered sinful or like hurtful. You're trying to like completely rid it of your body for like this entire time. And, you know, I even tried it like two days with them where I was like fasting and, but that wasn't just because, you know, I saw them, like, I'm going to ask them about their culture. I was just, I had now built this connection and relationship with this person. And I want to now experience a little bit more about their actual value just personally, because I enjoy their company. I enjoy the person that they are. So I feel like that's really what diversity is, is, you know, getting to just know other people and then getting to learn more about them because you've built this relationship with them. Just kind of willing, willingness to learn. Right. I want to kind of go like also mention how I've been talking a lot about building like this safe, inclusive environment. And I think it's definitely tied to this where you see people as people, not as in this situation, you would be quick to label someone or judge someone based on like literally off of how they look and how they present. That's not building an inclusive environment because you're like, okay, this person is Indian and she's a woman. And like that immediately puts filters on the way you want to interact with them or the questions you ask them or the tasks that you give them. If you really move away from that, and if you just look at a lineup of people of all different ethnicities, all different identities, um, whether it's like gender, sexuality, whatever, if you look at all the people and you're just like, oh, these are just my coworkers and get to know them on every level other than that, like Carlos said, like you don't have to ignore the identities. You just have to not make the identity that you perceive to be all you can think about. You don't have to like make that everything that their identity is, right? Like my gender and my ethnicity is merely two teeny tiny parts of my identity. And there's so many more things to me. But I mean, I've had so many instances, like literally in the last two weeks where I'm like at a networking event and I had 
um, one of the professionals at the event was come, came up to me and a group of other students and was talking to the students, asking everyone how they're doing, what their majors are. And then when they got to me and they asked me what my major was, they also asked me where I was from and they didn't ask anyone else that. So, I mean, just things like that, like that probably wasn't really necessary for them to get to know me like as a professional, but had we been networking for a while or had we built some sort of relationship, I mean, I wouldn't have minded talking to them about that. But it's like when you only have 10 minutes to talk to someone and make an impression on them and all they want to talk about is where you're from and why you look the way you do. I feel like that's just unproductive. And honestly, it's like disrespectful to the fact that I'm also a smart engineer, right? Sure, sure. Absolutely. We had two really terrific keynote speakers. I should have rephrased. We had three terrific keynote speakers, but we had two who were women uh, who held high positions in the U.S. Air Force with Lieutenant General Stacey Harris. Uh, We also had the CEO of the Girl Scouts, Sylvia Acevedo. They had incredible background stories. They gave incredible presentations. There is a documented shortage, if you will, really, of women and girls being interested in STEM. And it's an initiative that certainly IISE and other organizations like it are definitely trying to push forward. How did you come into industrial engineering? Have you observed a similar challenge amongst women and and young women that you've met over time, regardless of their backgrounds, just getting them interested in STEM, in engineering, in sciences? Believe it or not, I did not want to be an engineer for all of my life, pretty much. I mean, to be honest, I didn't even know what engineering was. Like my school never, like I didn't have an engineering class. Like my STEM classes never really talked about engineering. My dad's a software consultant. Like he's an engineer and has an engineering background, but he traveled a lot. So I didn't really even know what he did. So I didn't really have an idea of what engineering was. And Honestly, like I'm a really creative person and artistic. So a lot of my interests were in painting, dancing, singing. Like I wanted to be a chef. I wanted to be a choreographer. Like I changed what I wanted to be like every single month, probably. But my senior year, I actually had a mentor in high school, a family friend, and he introduced me to 3D printing. And 3D printing is like one of those hands-on kinds of tangible forms of engineering, you can do creative artistic things with. So like I was building like little sculptures or toys or whatever out of 3D printing methods and things like that. So that's when I first started thinking about engineering. And when I came to college, honestly, like I picked engineering because I knew that it would open up a lot of opportunities for me. I was also approached by the director for the, it used to be called the Women and Minorities in Engineering program at Oregon State. She approached me during my senior year and she really like talked to me about, oh, like these are all the programs we offer. It's really cool. Like engineering opens up so many doors for you. And we also have this really cool group called the Society of Women Engineers. And they go like on a rafting trip and it's a really cool community and things like that. And I just like started feeling like, okay, like I didn't even consider engineering because I didn't know what it was, but now I was starting to figure out, okay, this is what engineering is. And there's so many different things I can do with it. And then when I came to college, it was really figuring out 
how engineering played into my like the other things I was interested in and like my personality. I'm a very organized person. I'm like a winner for sure. Just like all of those things all together. I when I learned about industrial engineering, it's like working with people and working with systems and looking at the bigger picture. And those are all things that I was really interested in. I know women specifically tend to gravitate towards careers where they can help people. And this has statistically been proven. So like that's why at our university, our chemical and biological engineering program has like 60% women in it, which is crazy. But then you go to like industrial engineering and maybe it's like 12 to 13% women here. So it's like a huge disparity. But a lot of that is because when you think about bioengineering, you know, like, okay, bioengineers create pharmaceutical processes, they might make biomedical devices, then those things will help people. So a lot of women gravitate towards that. Whereas like when I came to college, I literally didn't know what industrial engineer is. I actually started out as mechanical engineering. And then my advisor kind of talked to me about industrial engineering. And he was like, I think this is something you would be interested in. And so I know that was a really long story, but essentially it really comes down to knowing what opportunities are out there and telling girls that they belong in engineering and that they can pursue all of their hopes and dreams through engineering and also just making engineering more than just like math and numbers because I've definitely heard like a lot of engineering students be like, oh, I picked engineering because I was really good at science and really good at math. And so it was just the obvious choice for me. Like that wasn't the case. I honestly like still don't really like math or science that much. Like, no, it's so much more than those things. And These are the things that you can do with engineering or industrial engineering. We actually just released a video for recruiting girls into engineering where they kind of get to see like, oh, like, look at all these other girls doing engineering. I want to do engineering. And so it really is like creating that representation in the field, um, increasing the visibility of women, faculty and students in engineering will hopefully bring other girls to feel like, oh, if she can do it, I can do it, which is actually, I will do a shameless plug here, but I I started a blog this year on Instagram um, called Engineer Like a Lady. I've seen that. We actually follow it through IISC's Instagram now. (laughs) That's so funny. Well, I'm so glad to have you in my community. But I started that page as kind of a way to show girls that I'm a really normal girl and I like girly things, but I'm also an engineer. And that's just what I post. And I want to like normalize that. And my hope is that one day, if a girl picks engineering because she saw my page and she was like, oh, she has really cool earrings and whatever. And she's also an engineer. Like that's kind of my goal. So it really is just like showing girls that they can do it. And a lot of that is like hiring engineering faculty who are women so that when you're in classes, you can see women professors and be like, oh, I can also be a professor or having women CEO in engineering companies, um, things like that. Those are all really motivational for girls to see themselves because over the last like 50, 60 years, like girls have not seen themselves at the top of the pyramid, which is why we've never felt like we can do it or we've physically been blocked from doing it. That's a whole different story. But I mean, all of that, it all comes down to really visibility and representation. It sounds almost like you want to see a rebranding of industrial engineering. I mean, I would want to see a rebranding of the whole world, to be honest. But um, 
Definitely. That's a, that's a bigger challenge. Uh, <laughs> I mean, but yeah, in engineering, like I'm not like, even at the conference, like it was really cool to have two of the keynote speakers be women because, and also women of color, like that was incredible to see them up there. But also like, I wish to have seen more women leading some of the smaller panels and sessions that were happening and things like that, because obviously it would be really nice to be learning from women or people who look like me really. And so, I mean, I think IISC is doing a great job moving in the right direction and having those speakers was really cool. I definitely did not think that when I was going to be flying all the way to Florida to go to this engineering conference, I definitely didn't think that I was going to be seeing two women of color give two out of the three keynote speeches. So that was really cool. You actually led into my next question and you pointed this out during the panel session at the conference that having such a discussion was a step forward for IISC in terms of building inclusivity. What can IISC and other organizations that support ISE professions do year round to encourage awareness about diversity, uh, to help actively remove roadblocks that cause identity to be a focus uh, before your abilities in academia and industry? Obviously, having starting that conversation is a great place to start. Um, But I also think words can only do so much. You also have to take action at some point. So it's really like figuring out what those tangible actions are that would help build that more inclusive culture in IISE. So one example, if we're looking just at the conference, would definitely be having more women on panels or more people of color on the panels that, you know, other than the keynote speeches, the different sessions that are going on. Um, I went to quite a few of them and there were a couple that were like, solely male or like there was one woman on it and things like that. I also think um, we need to stop tiptoeing around the discussion of identity. So, you know, if we're going to have women on these panels, like I would like to hear about their journey and about their like personal stories a little bit so that we can, so that me as like a woman in the audience, I would be able to relate with them or kind of learn more about how they got to that point. So I think like prioritizing diversity, like it was really cool that we had that diversity panel at the conference this year. But also like, I think Carlos and I both noticed that there were not many industry people in the audience. It was mostly students and the students who were there really already kind of had the mindset that the panel was in. And so while it was a productive conversation, like we were all kind of there already. So it would have been cool to see more industry people there. Um, I don't know. Annually, Carlos, do you have any ideas for like annual steps? I mean, I, th- I think the conference went really well. Uh, I think diversity was huge in the conference. I mean, there was people from all over the world. We had people from Spain, Jordan, Mexico, you know, a bunch of different people coming in. Uh, and then just people representing diversity from different uh, universities in the U.S. And I think it was just run so well that uh, I just got to know these people kind of how I, I was, I had mentioned earlier, go in learning more about the person, not immediately off of like what you see when you first see them, you know, just get to know them as if they're just, you had no idea anything about them. How do you start a conversation? What are you studying? Like, Oh, you know, uh, what are the hobbies that you enjoy interests, find some common ground and just build a relationship. And I think the IISC conference did an unbelievable job with that. I met with a lot of people from all sorts of different backgrounds who I felt I became pretty close with, you know, uh, I feel like with Sneha was one of the people that I felt like, uh, I talked a lot with and her and I found like a lot of common interests and were able to communicate really well and just have casual conversations, uh, eat, without it 
feeling like it was forced. And then you even go by, beyond like the topics of like IISE and just start talking more about like the person themselves. Uh, the panel, I think, was a great way to also take another step forward. Uh, like Sneha had said earlier, I think it would just be, you know, getting more people that are actually representing uh, companies and organizations to come in on this. Uh, we, really, these are all the ideas that we wanted companies to be hearing. I, th- I think that's one thing that uh, ISE could do is just get more. I, I mean, you guys are doing it with surveys, but actually doing it at the conference, I think would be proper way to do it is just get uh, feedback from the students. You know, what do you guys want to see? Uh, like I have been saying throughout this whole podcast, communication is key with everything. I feel properly communicating with like the students, getting their opinions, uh, seeing how the conference went, uh, and even having them start running things. You know, like we're in college. I know we're still seen as kids who are like learning and, you know, uh, trying to get into the workforce and kind of be helpful members of society. But, you know, we, we do have all these thoughts and ideas that are just kind of bundled up in our head. Actually ask the students, for like their ideas and make them feel like they're being heard because then now we feel like we're in some way helping out IISE and we're giving back a little bit by putting in our input, our ideas and our thoughts on like how the conference should be run. Well, certainly I think the mindset fits the infamous Margaret Mead quote, you know, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Mm -hmm. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has, you know, I think that's very much the mindset that every young generation, you know, comes into. And it's, uh, you know, what I've always found to be the, the interesting thing as you progress through life is a question of, you know, how well do you stick to that ideal? Do you stick with your convictions that you've, you know, you formed early on or, you know, does the world change you? as you get out in it and in the workforce in society, whereas your, your own personal role may change, um, whether it's because of, uh, your work or your, you know, lifestyle choices. I definitely think that that's one of those interesting differences I see, say between my generation and your generation. I think your generation really is. And again, to, uh, your points earlier about social media, which I think definitely fuels a lot of the discussion. Um, I think the fact that the discussion has become so much more open than it used to be, I certainly think is a credit to your to your generation. Yeah. I mean, kind of how you were saying, uh, you know, if, if you keep these same values and thoughts your entire life, uh, there's no way you're going to be right. There's no way you got it right, right off the bat. This is how life is. This is how everything works. Uh, you need to be open to, uh, you know, changes. You need to be open to different mindsets, ideas, uh, values. And that's what diversity is, is being open to actually learning all these different thoughts and ideas that people have all over the world, people from different backgrounds. You can't assume that you're the stuff that you were raised on, the stuff that you, uh, came up on is going to be right. That's ignorant. That's sub, uh, it's and it's and you also have to think of it in your way. Like if, if you want to impose values and ideas onto somebody else, you would want them to be willing to hear you out. But if you're not able to uh, be willing to hear that person out on like their thoughts, their ideas, their values, you know, you're never going to get anywhere. You're not uh, advancing in any way because you're you're stuck on your thoughts and you're not open to seeing if there's anything better. This has been a great conversation. Before we bring it to a close, I just want to ask: as students, future engineers, and active citizens. How do you actively encourage or remind others who are less informed about the positives of diversity or even those who may be flat out against diversity so that they can change their own views or broaden their scope? Um, I would say that diversity will never hurt you. Diversity will only help everyone. So it's really just kind of rebranding what diversity is. I think like some people 
who might be flat out against diversity. It could be because they think that they're going to get attacked for having the thoughts that they do, or they feel like they don't have an opportunity to learn. So it's kind of building that culture where we can educate one another without attacking one another and making diversity a really natural, healthy conversation that we can all have to bring everyone on the same page. Um, I think like nowadays there's this thing called like cancel culture and Carlos kind of talked about it a little bit before when we were talking about social media, but it's essentially like not being tolerant to the fact that people might not be aware of the different aspects of diversity and topics like that. Sometimes people are brought up in backgrounds where they are not exposed to diversity and they don't understand the value of it or they're raised in a bubble of some sort. So it's really making sure to kindly and healthily inform one another and learning how you can continuously check yourself. So like after you learn like, oh, maybe I shouldn't say this term when I'm referring to people. Um, you, If someone calls you out on doing something wrong, don't take it like personally. Try to learn from it. And then also if you're the person calling someone else out, don't do it unapologetically to the point where you're just like, you're wrong. Like, this is not, you're a bad person for saying that. It should be more of like, hey, like, maybe you didn't know about this, but you really shouldn't say this because it has these connotations. Instead, you could try to say this, you know? So if you say, if you approach things that way, I think it's, it becomes a lot more mutually respectful and understanding. And it makes it so that it's a, like a healthy educational experience for everyone and everyone can grow from it. Like there's really nowhere where you can go wrong with being an advocate for diversity, but I can definitely see how like some people can be pushed away from it for the way that, you know, like there are people who are like social justice warriors, which could be negatively um, connotated to being someone who is just all out all the time attacking everyone who isn't a hundred percent right. And that just takes away from the reality that there is a learning curve for these topics or that there is a struggle or recognizing that people come from these different backgrounds. So I definitely think in these situations, it's really important to be mindful of every different aspect when you're approaching a situation and making sure that you're able to both educate and be educated um, without feeling personally attacked or without attacking someone else personally and just making it a really good educational experience. I'll probably just quote it from uh, a book that I'm reading. It's uh, Seven Habits of Highly Efficient People by Stephen Covey. And it talks about three different types of people. And I feel like this can be kind of placed into organizations or really just anything. And it's a, you have a dependent person who's told, cannot, they have to be told what to do. They don't much have much initiative to lead or, uh, you know, strength and skill sets of a leader. And that person can transcend into an independent person. An independent person is someone who can lead, understands like their strengths and skills and uh, are able to, you know, put this into their organization or the company. And then the one uh, above that is an interdependent person, a person who realizes their leadership skills, their strengths and weaknesses, but also knows that although working independently may be well because you're doing everything the way that you want it to do, working with other people interdependently and like getting all these ideas from other sources in the end is only going to make you better. You, You have to be willing to constantly keep wanting to learn. And I think with diversity, that's constantly learning about all these, uh, you know, different backgrounds is only going to be beneficial to you. You know, there's not going to be any types of cons coming with it. You're, you're just informing yourself more about what's out there. 
uh, what's out in, you know, different backgrounds, cultures, when you're just uh, giving yourself more knowledge over all of these things, you're just going to become better in anything that you do. You're becoming more informed. You're able to now place this into your job, place this into any types of careers that you have. And I think that's what the importance of diversity is, is uh, learning all of this uh, new different information. That's uh, something that maybe has never been brought up to you before and just making you better overall. Sneha, where can our audience learn more about the Center for Diversity and Inclusion on the web? Um, so our website is engineering.oregonstate.edu slash div inclusion. So that's D-I-V-I-N-C-L-U-S-I-O-N. And we are also on Instagram at COE Diversity Inclusion. And if you want to keep up with my personal journey... It's also on Instagram at engineering like a lady. Carlos, you got any plugs? <laughs> uh, no, currently not at, uh, at the moment. I do. That. <laughs> That's okay. All right. Sneha, Carlos, this has been a terrific discussion. I really appreciate you taking the time to sort of expand what you started at the annual conference. I certainly look forward to seeing you guys continue leading this discussion and hopefully inspiring action in the years to come. So thank you again for joining us. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having us. This has been an episode of Problem Solved, the IISE podcast. If you like what you've heard, then please share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. If you're an IISE member, you can participate in discussions about this and other episodes at connect.iise.org. If you're not a member yet, then you can learn all about the Institute of Industrial and Systems Engineers at our website, iise.org. Thanks for listening to our show. 